your shirt. Hey guys, how's it going? Um, so today we're going to continue our Treasuring God series with Treasuring the Cross. It works, nice. Um, so before we talk about Treasuring the Cross, I think we need to um, kind of understand some of the histor- historical context around the cross. Because the cross was not only an important thing for us today, but back then it was also a powerful thing. So let's turn to uh, Hebrews 12, and I'll read verses 1 to 3. Um, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes of on Jesus, I think that says. It's like right on the little line there. Let me, let me pull this up on my phone here. Um, race marked for, out from us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Um, and so for me, the interesting thing about this that I don't think about a lot is this part in verse 2 that says, scorning its shame. Um, I think when we think of the cross as Westerners, I mean, for me, I think of like the pain of the cross. I think of death, but I don't really think of the shame. And I think to um, you know, kind of understand that shame, we have to look at um, some historical context of like what shame was like during Jesus' time. Um, but before we do that, I have an embarrassing story for you. Um, and this is literally like the, the most embarrassed I've ever been in my entire life. Um, but it wasn't that bad, so I've been lucky so far. Um, and what happened was, I, uh, this is probably in like 7th or 8th grade, and the first class of the day I had was computer class. And this was like the 90s, so I mean the computers were like big honking things, right? The monitors were huge, they weighed like 100 pounds, took up the whole table. Um, and so in this computer class, we had a bunch of tables, and under each table there was like a keyboard tray with the keyboard and mouse on it, and these trays had these like metal hooks on the sides, and the metal hooks like kept the keyboard in, whatever, you guys don't need to know that. But um, I'm going into this class, and as I'm sitting down, that hook catches my jeans and like rips a hole in my jeans, right? And we're talking like not a small hole, it was probably, I mean you could fit like an extra large golf ball in that hole, right? And the positioning of it was uh, very awkward. Not a place that you'd want to have a hole in your jeans, right? Those jeans weren't jeans that I, like, wore again or, like, wore on a, you know, day where I wasn't going to go out. Those got thrown in the trash. And so instead of being, like, a well-adjusted human and, like, just going to the office, asking my mom to bring another pair, right, or, like, I could have probably duct taped them or stapled them or something. Like, there were solutions. I was like, I need to hide this for the rest of the day. I can't tell anybody, Right. Um, and so literally the next class was science, and I had to give a presentation in science class. And so my idea was, I was like, well, if I'm going to give this presentation, I don't want uh, anyone to know. So I took a notebook and like pretended that I had my notes for my presentation on there, and I just held it like this <laughs> through the whole thing, right? So I'm trying to give this presentation, which when you're a kid, like you're nervous giving presentations, right? So I'm doing this thing, and I'm just like, you know, holding this notebook here, like nothing's going on. Um, and then uh, the rest of the day, I had a sweatshirt, luckily, and I draped the sweatshirt over my arm. Like, I was like some classy gentleman, so that it just happened to cover over that spot, right? So I'm like walking around all day with a sweatshirt on, right? Um, and the reason I bring this up is that I think this is a small example of, uh, of shame. And um, the, I mean, luckily I didn't get caught, right? Because if I would have gotten caught and people saw the hole, it would have been even more shame. Um, but I think this is a good example of what it feels like to be, uh, to feel shame. 
Um, so the dictionary defines shame as a person, action, or situation that brings a loss of respect or honor. And I think the interesting thing here is that uh, shame is a very interpersonal thing. Like if I had ripped my pants at home, nobody cares, right? Like when I was a kid, I'd probably tell my mom, hey, I ripped my pants. I've probably done it 100 times. She's like, oh, yeah, throw them away, get a new pair. No big deal, right? Um, but the fact that I ripped my pants at school, that was the thing that made it shameful. And, and had people found out, I would have been a laughing stock. I mean, you know kids. Kids are brutal, right? Like if a kid found out, like I had a hole in my pants, like every, they would have been like, look, Josh has a hole in his pants, right? Everyone would have laughed. It would have been a disaster, you know? Um, and that would have been really shameful for me and would have really um, caused people to lose respect and, and lose honor for me. Um, so uh, to understand the, the shame of the Bible, we kind of have to understand what like honor looked like in Roman times. So in Roman society, uh, people based their self-worth on the honor that other people gave them. Um, and the honor was based like solely and completely on what other people thought. So in modern times, we have this idea of like, you know, I kind of define my own worth. If you watch like kids' movies, kids' movies are always like, oh, hey, you know, like, I believe I can do it, and that's enough, right? Or, you know, all these people were, like, telling me I can't, and I, like, showed them, because I'm, I'm the best, and I know it, and I'll show it. And that always turns out well for the character, right? Um, but in biblical times, that was totally not the case. Um, so I found this quote, um, which maybe I'll go to on here, since I can't read it up there. Um, and this was from, um, there's a, a Bible Project podcast called Honor and Shame, or Shame and Honor, I think. Um, so if you are interested in this, you can listen to that podcast. But it says, um, oh, it's gone. Okay, so maybe I'll try to read it off there. It says, simply defined, honor and shame refer to the ongoing attribution or loss of esteem by one's peers, family, social class, city, and so on. In Roman society, this respect was based primarily on such things as wealth, education, rhetorical skill, family pedigree, and political connections. These were, yeah, I'll let you guys read it. Just, yeah, culture status, read that line. In this context, self-esteem would be conceived of as a ridiculous oxymoron. The only esteem one has is not bestowed by the self, but by the group. In this environment, peer pressure is not negative or something to avoid, but it is, views, is viewed as appropriate and welcome. Um, so people basically defined their whole sense of like self-worth and the way that other people defined what other people were worth was completely about what the society at the time thought of them. Um, and so as we talk about the shame of the cross, I want you guys to think of worth in that respect instead. And some, one thing that helps me to do this is like, uh, think about what things give you self-worth. Like, I think the first thing, as people that are following God, we get a lot of self-worth from God and from what God thinks about us, right? Um, but also, for me, I get some self-worth from, um, you know, what my wife thinks. If I'm supporting my wife and giving my wife the things she needs, I think about uh, my family, right? Like, if my family is proud of me or if I can do things to help my family out. Um, I think about work, right? Work is a big uh, source of self-worth. I have, like, you know, if my boss is happy, if my customers are happy, those all make me feel valuable. And so I want you to think of those things for yourself. I think everyone has their own things that make them feel worthy. But think about those, and then, um, you know, as we talk about this here, when Jesus is losing his honor, think about you losing those things. And I think that's a more uh, realistic feeling of uh, how the people at the time thought about Jesus dying on the cross. So 
The other thing um, about shame is I think uh, the other time you can feel shame is when you don't meet up to people's expectations, right? Um, like I think about the easiest case is like family or parents. A lot of times parents have these like, you know, huge expectations for their kids. Like you're going to go to college, you're going to get a degree, you're going to marry a great person, you're going to have 100 kids so that we can have 100 grandkids and it's going to be great, <laughs> right? Um, and like when you don't fulfill that or you feel like you're not and your parents are like, hey, what about kids? Hey, what about getting married? Hey, are you ever going to finish school? you start to feel this shame from them, right? Um, And I think that uh, for Jesus, Jesus had a lot of expectations put on him before he was on the cross. Uh, The first was a lot of people at the time thought that Jesus was going to be this, like, uh, savior, like, from the Roman occupation, right? So, uh, like, people thought, they're like, hey, in the Old Testament, which wasn't the Old Testament then, it was just, like, the scriptures, right? But the Old Testament, they have this, this history of, like, prophets coming, they show miraculous signs, and then, you know, they start to tell Israel to get their act together. And then once they do, these prophets lead the charge to, like, getting whatever occupier out of Israel that's there, right? They destroy them. Israel's back to normal. So there's a lot of people that have this, are thinking this way, like, hey, Jesus is a king. He's coming, and he's going to kick the Romans' butt, get them out of here, right? Um, and then we also have the disciples who, I'm not totally clear. I think some of the disciples still probably thought this was the kind of thing that was going to happen, but... Um, for them, they had the addition to, like, see his life and know that he claimed to be the son of God and that he was from God. And so for them, I mean, the expectation is like, hey, we gave up our life for this guy. Like, this is going to pay out at some point, right? We're going to be, like, rewarded by God or, like, God's going to do something awesome and, like, um, you know, this is going to be great. Uh, and so when you think of these expectations, um, Jesus really fails all of these expectations on the cross, like, while he's actually physically on the cross. Um, the people that thought he was going to kick out the Roman uh, occupation, right? The Romans literally killed him in the most Roman way possible. Like, the, the cross was the uh, Roman way to, like, basically make an example of people and dehumanize them. And so, for him, for him being killed in that way, that was kind of a slap in the face to all those people that thought that, uh, they were, that he was going to save them. Uh, and then to add to that, the Romans mock him on the cross, right? They say, hey, if you're the son of God, come on down. And they put the, the sign there that says king of the Jews, right? Um, and then from the disciples' point of view, I mean, we kind of know how the disciples feel too because we have Peter, he denies Jesus three times, right? Doesn't want to be associated with him. And then uh, if we read John 21, the disciples go back to fishing, right? Like Peter, James, and John, I think Thomas, some of the other ones, they're literally in a fishing boat, like back to their career that happened before they were disciples, before Jesus called them. Um, and so you can tell that they're, you know, pretty disappointed about how the whole thing came out. I think, uh, like, can you imagine having hope in this person and, like, giving up everything to follow this person and then finding out, like, hey, maybe this guy wasn't what he claimed. Like, he's on the cross. He died. He got killed. Like, maybe this was all a waste. Maybe I just wasted a bunch of years of my life and wasted maybe my career advancement or, or having kids or whatever, you know. Um, and then the other thing, I think, is that the crucifixion was designed to strip away all forms of honor. So in Roman society, they had all these different um, things that gave them honor, right? Like stuff. You literally lose all your stuff. They took all of Jesus' stuff. They gambled to split it up between themselves. Um, And the crucifixion was designed to be super public. So they would beat you in a place that was like very visible to everyone. The cross was put up on a hill so that people could see and that Jesus could be made an example of. Like, the Romans wanted to say, don't be like this guy. Don't do this. Um, And then, you know, of course, there's also the, like, you're being beat publicly, right? 
there's a huge amount of dishonor that comes from that. Uh, and then you're naked the whole time, right? A lot of times the pictures we have of the cross doesn't show that, but that's, that's how it is, you know? And um, all of that stuff is designed to dehumanize and, and uh, you know, make it seem like Jesus is not even a person. Um, and so, again, I want you guys to think about that and think about how, what the perception was of everyone at the time of Jesus, right during and after, right after his crucifixion. I think right now the cross doesn't really sound like something that should be treasured, right? Um, but luckily that's not the end. Like, we know what happens, right? Jesus is raised from the dead. Um, and so that, like, reverses everything, right? I mean, it's like, oh, hey, these guys tried to shame him. They tried to, uh, you know, dehumanize him. They tried to take him down, tried to kill him. And, like, it didn't even work, you know? Like, he, get, he went through all that. And then, like, three days later, he gets up again. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm back, right? Um, and I want you to think about how the disciples felt during that time. So they probably went from this, like, hey, was that guy even from God? They killed him. Like, what do we do now? To like, whoa, he just survived death and came back. And then in addition to that, he came back as a sacrifice for our sins. So our sins are forgiven. So we have a way to be right with God now. Um, And I think that emotional roller coaster must have been amazing. Um, The cross is one of the most spiritually encouraging events ever. If you think about it, it's literally the event that caused Christianity to last this long. Like 2,000 years later, here we are talking about treasuring the cross. If Jesus hadn't been risen from the dead, I don't think we'd talk about it today. I don't think I know any of you. I don't think Christianity is even a thing. Um, and actually, a funny, a funny side thing is that Rome, so after Jesus is crucified, Rome uh, persecutes the church a lot, right? We can read in, in Acts and a lot of the letters about the church's persecution. And they did such a bad job of it that about 200 years later, they actually made Christianity the official religion of Rome. Right? Like, that's how powerful the cross was. These people that went from, like, trying to destroy Christians and destroy Jesus, like, they're literally like, hey, we're Christians now, and they're forcing everyone else to be Christians, which maybe that's not the best way to be a Christian, but funny that it happened. Um, so speaking of Romans, let's turn to uh, Romans 8, um, and I'll read, I'll read verses 29 to 30. Ben, thank you for moving that. That's very nice. Um, so Romans eight twenty nine to 30 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So what's cool here is that Jesus is the firstborn among us brothers and sisters. So Jesus is like the, the, the first one in the example for all of us to follow. Uh, and one of the reasons I treasure the cross is because it shows us how, uh, like, what God can do with the stuff that we overcome. So for Jesus, Jesus overcome the shame, right? It says he scorned the shame, or he disregarded the shame. Like, he was like, oh, I'm in the most shameful position ever? I'm fine. I don't care, right? Um, like, I'm doing this for God, and, and I'm focused on what value that God gives me instead of what value the Roman society gives me. Um, and that's, I think, how it works. Like, God uses our shame for his glory, the more we can put ourselves in, in quote-unquote shameful situations, the more God can work. Um, and that's the same with other difficulties too, right? Like the more we can put ourselves through hard stuff, the more we, our characters grow. Uh, it's like the, whole, the whole James thing, right? Um, and so uh, I have an example of this. I have a friend from Milwaukee, which some of you probably know, and he uh, has a learning disability. Um, and he's very quick to say, uh, you know, whenever he talks to people like, oh, hey, I don't get things very fast, so sometimes I have to ask people questions. And this guy, like, after sermons, he'll sometimes go up to the speaker and just be like, hey, you said this, like, what did you mean by this? 
Like, what is that? Where is that scripture? Can you tell me that scripture again? Like, can you explain this part that I didn't understand? And he'll go up to other people and just, like, be super proactive about asking them with no shame, right? He's always just, like, totally uh, open about his, his level of learning ability and just always grinding away trying to learn more. Um, even for me, like, he'll ask me stuff sometimes. Like, I think last time I saw him, he asked me, like, how do you do push-ups, right? Like, I'm trying to do push-ups every day. Like, how do you do push-ups? And I'm like, I don't, I don't really do that many push-ups, but, you know, I don't know. You just do this, and you're good. Um, but, like, the character growth from this guy is amazing. Like, there's a lot of people that I go back home and, and see my old friends that, like, they're exactly the same as when I left, right? Or even when we were 12, some of them, right? They have literally had zero character growth since they were 12 years old. And, but this guy, totally different every time. You don't want to get there. Like, I can tell that, that he's learning these things and internalizing things, these things about God. Um, and I think God just really loves to use these people in lowly positions to accomplish his purpose. Um, you look at in the Old Testament, right? You've got Gideon. Gideon's like, uh, is in Judges. He's like the weakest guy ever, right? Like, literally, they're talking about him. They're like, he was the, the weakest guy in the weakest family in the weakest uh, tribe in the weakest, uh, the weakest of Israel, basically the most weak guy. The story starts out, he's like hiding from some soldiers, right? And then God uses him to defeat the Midianites, and, you know, this guy becomes like a super buff, like encouraging general, right? Like, literally in the beginning, you're like, oh, he's like this. At the end, he's like, you know, like, take those guys out, right? Um, and it's amazing. Um, we have Noah. Noah survived a lot of shame, right? And this man, Noah, is building a boat when no one's seen a boat before, Right? Like, literally, he's building a boat, and people are like, why are you spending all your resources and time building this thing? And, you know, he's like, well, God told me to. It's going to rain. They're like, what's rain? We've never seen rain before, you know? And look what God did with that. I mean, we would have been in a rough spot if there was no boat for us when the earth flooded. Um, And then even Jesus, like, the way that God decided to put Jesus in the world, he didn't put him as, like, Caesar's, you know, son, where he'd be, like, the right-hand man of the whole empire, and he could tell everyone that, hey, you need to listen to me, right? Jesus was born to, like, poor people poor parents. The Bible even kind of talks about how he's almost like born in the shadow of Herod's palace, right? Like he's born in this barn in like a super low position, and that's the, that's the situation that God chose to put in for his son, right? He chose to put him in this low situation so that he could accomplish great things. Um, last Friday we were talking about, uh, or actually this Friday at the uh, summer soiree, we were talking about um, our first jobs, and unanimously everyone had a terrible first job. Right? No one liked it. Um, my first job was working at Office Max, and the Office Max that I worked at was across the street from a retirement community. And um, this retirement, it was kind of cool because these, uh, you know, elderly folks would come into our Office Max just to, like, hang out. Like, this was, like, the closest door to the retirement community, so these guys would come in and hang out, and they would ask us questions about computers, they would, like, practice on the computers, ask us for help, never buy anything, right? <laughs> Guaranteed never buy anything. My boss, like, literally hated these guys. Like, he was like, don't talk to any old people, you know, because they're just going to waste your time. Um, but I loved it because I'm like, dude, I can talk to these people, teach them about computers, and I don't have to do all the busy work that Office Max is trying to make me do. It was great. Um, so anyway, this, this uh, guy comes in, and it's an elderly guy, and he's got this digital camera, which in 2008, those were, like, the height of cool, right? That was, like, high tech. Like, you can take pictures on an SD card instead of on film. It's amazing. Um, and he, uh, he found this camera at, like, a garage sale, and uh, 
it wasn't working. And the person told him at the garage sale that it needed like some special battery that they didn't know how to find. And so this guy was telling me, like, you, you could tell he's like really excited about this thing. He's like, I'm going to find this battery and then I'm going to learn about how to use this like high tech digital camera, right? And he's like so proud and like so excited about it. And so I take it from him and I'm, I'm trying to check the, see what kind of battery it is. And I just dropped it. I literally dropped it right on the lens, right on the concrete floor, right? And I looked down and I'm like, oh my gosh, like how did that even, I still to this day, I don't know how I, like how do you drop something like that? Uh, so I go down to pick it up and the, the guy just like holds his hand out to me, right? Give it to him, he doesn't say a word, kind of gives me a dirty look, leaves, walks out, right? And at that time, I felt super guilty about that, right? I didn't have a chance to redeem myself at all. I, I mean, had he stayed a little bit or been like, hey, what can you do to fix this? I would have been like, well, I got some money that I saved up working here. Maybe I can give you some money towards a new one or at least refund what you paid at the garage sale. Or maybe uh, I can talk to my boss who hates people like you, so maybe he won't help, but maybe he would, right? Maybe he'd say, hey, we'll give you a discount on a new one or something. Um, but I didn't have a chance for any of that. The guy just left. Um, and, like, that guilt was paralyzing. I literally, I mean, this happened probably, this happened in 2008, so tons of years ago. And I still remember myself, like, going through the rest of my day, trying to, like, do my chores at home, and just, like, thinking about what happened with this guy and just feeling so bad about it. And um, I think that shame can cause a lot of guilt, and we also have a lot of other guilt in our lives, but the cross tells us that we're free from that. Um, let's keep reading in Romans 8 here. Um, so I'll read verses uh, 31 to 34. So it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us all. And so, the cool thing here is that we're free from guilt. Like, this old guy who probably thought I should be condemned for dropping his camera, doesn't matter, right? Because literally, the creator of everything says that I'm justified and that I don't have to be held accountable for my sin. Um, and that's one of the treasures of the cross, that we have this freedom from guilt. Um, and the proof of that freedom is that Jesus died, right? It's like the scripture says, like, if God already sent Jesus down to die for us, his son, like, what else is he not going to, like, how is he not going to give us everything? Like, he's already given us everything. That's the most valuable thing that God has that he has given to us. So he'll, he's going to keep doing that. Um, and I think that this uh, freedom from guilt really frees us up to kind of make mistakes and learn from our mistakes. Like, one of the fastest ways to learn is by just making mistakes all the time. Like, make as many mistakes as possible, learn from them, get better. Um, I have a friend who, uh, he was, he's from China, and he lives in, like, the basically equivalent of Florida in China. And so, uh, him and I were in campus ministry together, and we went and visited the Minneapolis campus ministry, and we went ice skating. Um, and this guy had never ice skated in his entire life. And so, we're trying to tell him, like, hey, you know, you kind of got to go like this, and, like, try to teach him. And he went for it 100%, like, all out. Like, he wasn't holding on to the little wall, kind of, like, walking around the edge like people do. He just went for it, and he just fell over and over again. Like, literally at the end, his, like, pants were all iced because of how many times he fell. His elbows were all iced. But at the end, he could ice skate. Like, he could actually ice skate, like, fairly decently. And I'm like, this man learned how to ice skate in two hours, right? Like, when I learned how to ice skate, it was probably an entire winter that I learned. Maybe more than that, right? And I knew how to rollerblade before that. So, um... (laughs) 
you know, I think that, that uh, we can slow down a lot because we're, we don't want to make mistakes, right? We're afraid of guilt. We're afraid of, of messing up. And one of the things that cross does is it kind of allays that fear, gets rid of that fear. Um, I think of a lot of situations where, um, you know, I, I could have been guilty or, or things that I, I don't do because I'm afraid of feeling guilty or I'm afraid of messing up. I think of, like, correcting people. Like, if you see someone do something and you're like, man, I should say something to that guy. You really don't want to because I'm like, hey, maybe I misread the situation. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he didn't do what I thought he did, right? Um, maybe uh, he's going to get mad and hate me for the rest of my life. Maybe he's going to put some shame on me, right? Um, you think about all these things. I think about, uh, you know, maybe giving someone advice. Like, I know uh, my grandpa famously never gives anyone advice because he doesn't want that guilt if the advice doesn't turn out. When it's actually like, well, it's still my responsibility to make sure the advice is good, right? But he literally doesn't give anybody advice because he's afraid of the guilt of them messing up. Um, Dealing with hairy situations at work. I think a lot of us work with a bunch of people that aren't trying to follow God. And there's a lot of hairy situations that come up with that. And sometimes you don't know what the best thing to do is. But, I mean, if you just do it, try your best, then the cross is like, hey, you're forgiven if you mess up. So you can always go back and analyze those situations and be like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe next time I'll do something else. Um. Mark Zuckerberg, who, he's probably not someone that you want to, like, you know, model your life after, but he has a good quote that's, uh, move fast and break things. Um, And as an engineer, we kind of take that to heart. And what that means is um, when we're designing stuff, we try to design things as fast as possible, right? And so we'll design them and just release them, right? And for me, that looks like I design things, release them to internal people at work that are going to use these tools. And my boss, like, doesn't have any patience for me to like check for bugs or like try to make sure this thing works. He's like, release it. And if people have problems, they'll tell us. And then when they tell us, we can fix them. (laughs) And that's it, right? And so you might wonder like, hey, why are apps always buggy? Move fast and break things. That's why, right? People are like, hey, we don't have to do testing. We can just release it. And our customers will do the testing and tell us what's wrong. (laughs) Um, But it turns out this method of development is super fast. Like, if you look at companies that do that compared to companies that try to wait before their release and, like, get everything fixed before they release something, the technology advancement is, like, completely different between those two companies. The companies that move fast and break things, they advance super quickly, and that's why we do that. Like, we don't like to release buggy stuff, right? There's some advantage to it. Um, And this is what the cross really enables for us. Like, I can move quickly and make decisions quickly and not get this decision paralysis when I'm, you know, thinking about, hey, uh, is this the right thing to do? I don't know if I should do this. Oh, what's going on? Right? I can just make my decision with the confidence that I'm forgiven if I uh, mess up afterwards or if I mess up during that decision. So in conclusion, that's why I treasure the cross. Firstly, the cross is a symbol of what Jesus did for us. Like, no matter how you think about it, if you think about the pain or the shame or even just dying, right, all of those things are super rough and super terrible things for Jesus to go through, especially when you think about the fact that the whole reason he came down here was to save us. So to try to save us and then die at the hands of the people he's trying to save, that's like, that's the worst thing ever. I mean, he doesn't deserve that, right? By definition of him doing that, he doesn't deserve that. We deserve some of that. Um, And like, he just did it voluntarily for us. And then Jesus also is, he's the first one in a long line of people that follow God, and he's an example for us all. So we can see that, hey, if I can uh, get rid of the shame, if I can uh, do these hard things in life, these are things that, that God can work through. Uh, and then lastly, the cross symbolizes freedom from guilt. It allows us to kind of explore being Christians without fear of condemnation. Uh, with that, I'll pray for your communion. Great job, John. Uh,
Uh, dear God, thank you for this time to pray uh, and just take communion. God, I just pray that you can help us to just think of um, all the, the things that you've given us through the cross. Like you've sent Jesus down, the most valuable thing you have to, to die for our sins and to free us from guilt. Um, you've given us a, a great shining example.